chapters. It would take us a, a couple years or months. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the book, but what we're going to do is look at kind of the big picture view, the, the 30,000 foot view, the more famous kind of popular parts of Genesis. And then on those parts, we're going to do a deep dive on each of those. And so I would just say this, and you've heard me say it before if you've come to Pathway, that I believe in the deeper stuff, there's really practical stuff as well. And I think in the practical stuff, there's some deep stuff. The, the, the reality is, are you looking for that and are you prepared for that? And so I just encourage you, if you're like, well, I like really deep stuff. And, well, you need some practical in your life too. Well, I just I like the really practical application stuff. And, and you need some deep stuff. And I think there's both. And we try to craft every message to have that, a deep end and a shallow end, if you will. And so we're going to, uh, just to give you a note today, we're going to talk about the very first chapter. And, the, and then next week, we're going to talk about where everything went wrong with with people called Adam and Eve. The week after that, we're going to do a guy named Noah and the flood. And then after that, we're going to do a guy named Abraham. And then we're going to conclude it with a guy named Joseph. And, and so we're going to kind of get the, the broad view, but on each of those weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into those. And so I'm really, really excited and wanted to do this for a while, and, and I'm excited to kick it off today. And so let's do that together in Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout forth with vegetation of every seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. The seeds will then produce the same kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swims in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry among the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the earth, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given you every green plant as food for the wild animals and birds in the sky and small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. And then chapter 2, verse 1. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything that was in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was for the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. So here's the thing. As you read that, you might be thinking, wow, we just read an entire chapter of the Bible. I'm good for the rest of the week. Yeah, no, you need to keep reading, and you can read ahead in chapter 2 because we're going to talk about that next week. But here's the, the thing that we want to kind of break down, and, and, and I just kind of want to go in sequential order, kind of in a way, verse by verse, if we can. And, and, and the first thing is, is you have to understand this, and we said this last week, actually, that you have to know what the Bible is not claiming. The Bible here in chapter 1 is not claiming to be a chemistry book or a biology book or a science book. Is there chemistry in the Bible? Yes. Biology? Yes. Science? Yes. The Bible and science are not opposed to each other, nor should Christians. God can use science. But we have to understand, sometimes we dive into that, okay, well, how did he do that? And how long was a day? And, and where does this fit in? And where does that fit in? And, and those are great questions, and certainly we should discuss that. But that is not the point of Genesis, and it's not the point of chapter 1. Chapter 1 really was written in the Hebrew language. Uh, all of Genesis was, as well the Old Testament. And in, in, in Hebrew translation, it would rather read like this. In the beginning, comma, when God created the heavens and the earth, not in the beginning, and sometimes we think, well, when God created himself, or when, what about before that? No, 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 it's not asking that. It's saying, when God created everything that you and I know to this day, when God created the cosmos, that's what it was like. God has already existed. Is it trying to tell you specifically how he did it? No. There's some generalities that on this day he made the lights, and he made the darkness, and he made the seas, and the fish, and the land. But specifically, well, what about this, and what about that? That's not the point. You need to know this about the Bible, especially Genesis chapter 1. The point is not to get into the details of how he did it, but rather more broadly, and this is really important, who created it and why. 
Look, if you don't know who or really the why something was created, how it was created really doesn't matter. I don't know how my microwave was created at my home. I just know why it was created, and that is because I need my popcorn in 2 minutes and 13 seconds. That's why it was created. I don't need to know all the details of how it, you know, nuclear stuff and fission and fusion and makes it all. No, no, no. It works. I need to know why it was made to make frozen things edible in a short amount of time. I think very often that until you know why something was made, the how really doesn't matter. You could know specifically how God made everything, but if you don't know why he made it, it really doesn't matter. So the question that Genesis is saying is, who made everything that we know, and why was it made? Those are the questions that we're going to answer today, because those are the questions that we see in chapter 1. And and I just want to start with verse 1, because it says, in the beginning, God. All right, time out, pause. In the beginning, I understand that, God. Wait a minute. You have not introduced me to who this God fellow is. I know nothing about him. I don't know where he lives or what he's like. But the more that you read the rest of chapter 1, I believe that you come away with five very clear understandings of what I would call the characteristics or the nature, I don't like to say personality, but that might help you, the personality of God. Now, the more that you read the Bible, the more you're going to see more of his characteristics and his attributes and and, and what he's really like. But right off the bat, chapter 1, you're going to come away with five things. As I always have told you before, whenever you read the Bible, whether it's one verse, ten verses, or a whole chapter, maybe you need to read it more than once, but always take a step back and think, what's the main idea? What's the main point? And the point of chapter 1 is who created everything and why. Well, let's start with the who. Again, five major characters. Are you taking notes on your phone or, or on pen and paper and write this down? Five just from chapter one that I think are pretty obvious that we understand about what God is like. I love that chapter one doesn't say God made everything and just, you know, hope the best and wish us luck. No, it tells us about who this God is that made it. So here's the first one, that God forms the formless. God takes everything in chapter 1. Notice that that the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about that in a moment, was hovering over the earth. The earth was a black blob. It wasn't the round shape that we know of today. It was just a black, dark blob. And God, there was, there was something there, but he formed the formless. And notice that he does that on the days of creation. We'll talk about that in a moment. But God creates land, but there's nothing on the land to fill it. But then he creates animals to fill it. This is a pattern. The first thing that we learn about God is that he is a God that can take the empty and fill it with things that give purpose. And he does that today, and he does it in my life and in your life. The empty, broken things that you think are hopeless and worthless, that have no meaning, that have no purpose, that that you don't know what to do with, God can take those things, your brokenness, and put it together and make something beautiful out of it that other people look at you and they admire and they say, wow, man, look at what God's done in your life. God can form the formless in your life. He can give meaning to the meaningless things. That's the first thing we learn about God. Above everything else, he can take the the unusable and make it usable. That's really cool when I think about God and that he does that today. Here's the next one, that God is creative. God is not a boring old white guy with a beard on a cloud. That's not God. He's not a peace-loving hippie. That's not him. He's not Zeus with lightning bolts wanting to strike you down. He is creative. Everything that you and I know about the planet and the cosmos and animals and, and plants and trees, 
all come from God speaking it into existence. There's a little field by our house that that I mow. In the beginning of the year, I love to mow it because the weather's nice. By the end of the year, I'm almost like cursing this field that I have to mow because it's hot and it takes me forever. But but in the springtime, spring's my favorite time of year. In the in the springtime, there's these purple like wild flowers because I don't have enough money to have it professionally sprayed to kill all the weeds, so they just grow in this field. But there's a I mean, just like this whole field just covered in purple, beautiful. I mean, look, that, that didn't just happen. God did that. You know, I love mountains. I'm not really an ocean person because fish are gross. I love mountains. And, and I look at the mountains and, man, God did that. When I study science and NASA and the cosmos and I love the, man, I think, wow, God, you did that. I mean, it's amazing. Everything that you and I know, God, he's a creative God. He's not boring. He's not dull. All the beauty of life and of colors, God did that. Well, the third thing that we learn about the characteristic of God is that he's as much as creative as he is, like this beautiful creative artist, he's also extremely detailed and organized. Notice that God creates everything on purpose and for a purpose. God doesn't just randomly say, well, isn't this pretty? And, and it's just kind of a beautiful, chaotic mess. No, no, no. There's organism and there's structure and it's organized in the beauty. So look, God is very creative, wildly creative, the most creative being out there. But yet he's also extremely meticulous and detailed in his creation. God doesn't just say, wow, this is great. No, every day has a purpose, and everything that he creates on every day has a specific purpose. I would say this, God created you and I on purpose and for a purpose. He didn't just create you and say, wow, good luck. Go go get him, tiger. No, that's not God. God says, I created you with meticulous detail. I made the color of your eyes and the hairs on your head exactly the way I wanted it to be from the moment you were in your mommy's belly. I made you on purpose for a purpose. Very detailed. I made you the way you are because I got certain things that I want you to do. Here's the, the fourth thing. Creation always obeys God. When God says, let there be light, there's light. When God commands the fish to be there, there's fish. Nature and creation always obeys God. I think the fifth one kind of ties into that. And this is, I think, maybe the biggest. I think they're all really big. But I love this one, that God's word is always accomplished. Notice the pattern. that There's a lot of patterns in chapter 1 if you look. I don't even think you got to look that closely to see them. But notice what it said. And God said whatever. And then the very next sentence is, and it was so. It wasn't like God said, let there be light. And they were like, well, let's get a committee together. What kind of light should it be? How long and how bright should the light be? And, and what about this and what about that? No, no, no. Whenever God speaks something, it happens automatically, immediately. There's no debate. There's no, well, I don't want to do that. No, when God says it, it will happen. And I just encourage you today that if God has told you something in your life, it will happen. It will come to pass. I don't care if it looks like it's getting worse and farther away. If God spoke it to you and you know that he did and his word confirms it, it will happen. It may happen today. It may happen on your deathbed, but the word of God will never come back empty. It will always, the Bible says, accomplish what God intends and says for it to do. That's the word of God. 
the flip side is, is a little scary. If God is challenging you to do something, to step out in your faith and to do something different, to do something new, and you're hesitant and you're resistant, God's saying, I'm gonna, it's going to happen one way or another. And, and look at the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. That's a great example. God is going to make it happen in your life, whether you're just dragging, kicking, and screaming, or whether you say, God, whatever you want to do. It's much easier for you and for me to say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you ask me to do, it may be challenging, I may think it's impossible, but I got you on my side, and, and I know I don't want to be against your word in my life. I want to be open to your word in my life. And so whatever you say, just do it. Well, here's, here's, I think, kind of the next thing. I talked about who is God. Now, why does that really matter? Well, to dive a little bit deeper on what we said earlier, that God fills the empty. So remember, who is God? And in verse 1, in the beginning, God, we learned five major characteristics or attributes of this God. And now we're going to look at, well, then, really, why did he create everything? And, and I want to kind of continue on, on, notice what it says, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth period. Now look at verse 2. Then it says this, why did he create it? Verse 2 answers that question. Because the earth was empty and formless. Why did God create all life on planet earth and in the cosmos? It was empty and formless. So again, we've already, in two verses, we've answered our two big questions. Who is God? Who created everything? And why did he do it? Because it's empty and it was formless. Notice the pattern. On day 2 and day 3, that it was empty. There's, there's oceans, but they're empty. There's land, but there's no trees. It was a desert. There's no vegetation. There's no animals. It's just one blob of land and a big blob of ocean. All, you know, the land was all together, it says. The oceans were all together. And then God says in, in day two and day three, so we have a form, right? It'd be like if you have a vehicle, you just have the frame of the vehicle, and that's what day two and day three is. But then God says, that's good, but now I want to fill it. I want to put some AC in your car. I want to get you some uh, radio. I want to, uh, he's filling it. He fills the form. And day four, five, and six, God fills the empty form. If you're pouring concrete or if, you're, uh, if, they, if you watch YouTube shows on how they make things, there's, there's always a mold or a form, and they pour something into it that is usually in liquid shape, and then it hardens, and that's what you get. There's a form, but it's empty. God fills it. Can I just tell you, that's what God does for you and I today. The empty things of our life, the empty things of, of you and I, God will fill it with purpose and with meaning if you'll give it to him. He is that kind of a God. I would just say this. A couple of things that really stand out. One is that this is utopia. This is, this is really how God intended for everything to be. In our last series, we talked about major objections to Christianity, why people don't believe, and we discussed that. One of them was evil. What about evil? And remember we said God did not create evil. Nowhere in chapter 1. This is the way God intended, the way God originally wanted everything to be. There's no mention of cancer. There's no mention of war. There's no mention of death of any kind. This is perfect. There's no mention of jealousy or greed or lust. It's perfection. In many ways, it's heaven on earth. In fact, when you read at the very end of the Bible, in, in Revelation, the last book, it talks about that all the evil of this earth will be undone. And in many ways, we're going to go back to the way God originally intended it. That's what God does. You see, God originally created you and I to, to do great things. But when we disobey him, sin, we'll talk about that in depth next week. We disobey him, and now all of a sudden, God can't, God can't do it until we come back to him. And then he says, let me restore you to what I originally created you to do. 
That's what saved means. You're, you're saving me from myself. You're saving me from my sin, from disobeying you. And you're going to not just save me from that, but you're going to save me to yourself and restore me to the way you created me to be. I would say this, this next thing that God fills the empty, you got to trust God's timing. I, I Honestly, I never, the next two things I, I never really quite thought about a lot, but I think it's fascinating that, that notice when people are created, man and woman, when are they created? On day six. God creates everything the first five days. We're created very last. Why? Because the simple answer and obvious answer is the earth wasn't ready for people. Because if God would have put us on day two and day three, we would be standing on land with nothing to eat. We would starve to death. No, God says, I'm going to purposely wait because I'm a God of order and detail as long as me and being creative. I'm going to purposely wait until everything is set and ready. Then I'll bring people in. So it is with you and I. You need to learn and I need to learn to trust God's timing. That just because, oh, God, I want you to do it now. God, would you do it now? And maybe he will. But there's other times where God says, I I'm going to do it. Again, we said earlier, my word will not come back void. If I tell you I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But you're not ready yet. Oh, well, I'll do it. But you're not ready. Or God says, hey, look, I know you're ready, but it's not ready. The situation isn't ready. That's where you and I need to step back and say, God, I trust your timing. And God, you know what? If you would have created people on day three, it would have been a disaster. But because you're God and you're all-knowing and all-powerful, and I'm not. you got to admit that and you got to be humble. Admit you're not all-knowing. You're not all-powerful. Therefore, I trust and defer to your timing in my life. So instead of saying, oh, God, do it now, do it now, just say, God, your timing. As you know, we're praying about a building, and I believe that's coming very soon. But, but my biggest prayer is, God, your timing, your way. I trust you. Because it's going to be way better in his timing and his way than if I try to force it on my own. Here's, here's the next thing I think is really interesting. Notice this other pattern. There was evening and then morning. Now, for you and I, and, and as I grew up reading this, I thought, that's a typo. <laughs> that, that's not how things work, God. What, are you confused? I mean, what's going on? No, we have morning and then evening, not evening and then morning. That's weird. Why would God do that? And the, and the really cool answer is Jewish people today, especially in Israel, still follow this model of a day. You and I, in Western culture, especially in American culture, our day goes when the sun comes up. That's when the day begins. When the sun goes down, the day is over. That is not how God originally intended or created a day to be. Quite obvious, there's no other interpretation. God intended for the day to begin when the sun goes down and then uh, to when the sun goes down on the next day. So for Jewish people right now, they would say this, following the pattern of Genesis 1, that Monday will really begin when the sun goes down today on Sunday. And then Tuesday will begin when the sun goes down on Monday, what we would call Monday. Now, you think, that's just weird. Why, was God, why would God do that? Because here's the really, really cool thing. Because God doesn't start his day like we do. We start our day, alarm clock goes off, the sun is up, I got to get the kids ready, I got to get them fed, I got to get them off to school, I got to get to work, I got this meeting and this meeting and this meeting. And then when you come home, what are you? Exhausted. No, God says, here's how I want you to start your day. This is so cool about God. God says, I want you to start your day, just rest. Just relax. That's how I want you to start your day. I want you to, before you, before you get up and start doing things and being active, just rest. And once you've got your rest tank all the way full and you're fully rested, then you go get them. 
then you attack your day. Then you accomplish all the meetings and all the things you have to do. I would just say this. I, I'm telling you, why don't you just test God out and see if he's, and see if he's telling the truth on this. Not, not my word, God's word. What if for this week you took this seriously? Now, I'm not saying like literally you're, you're going to be weird with your friends. Like, no, no, today is actually Tuesday because the sun went down. No, no, no. We, we live in culture. We have to kind of abide by that. But I would say this to say, man, God, my day is really going to start with rest. And so I'm just going to rest. And instead of I'm going to just go on 100% and then you're exhausted, you got nothing left. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to have rest, which ties into this next thing. Notice this. And I honestly, this is the one thing I never caught until about three weeks ago when I was preparing for this. The first time the word holy is ever mentioned in the Bible, it is not talking about God. Now, God is holy. Later it will discuss that. The first time the word holy is ever mentioned, it's mentioned that God says it about a day. Now, you think God rested as it says, why was he tired? No, he's not tired. Why would God make a day holy? And he blessed the day. Because God is saying, I spent six days making all of this, and now today, I just want to rest, and I want to enjoy it. I'm not resting because I'm tired. I'm God. Good grief. I don't need to rest. But I want to enjoy what I made. Listen, if you're working seven days a week, that is not God's will or design for you, and you will get burned out. And don't you dare blame God or anybody else but yourself. No, God says you need one day a week of just rest. Now, that looks different for different people. I know some people, they love to rest by mowing their yard and doing yard work. That's great. So I would define it this, whatever refills your soul. Maybe somebody's just sitting down and watching uh, you know, uh, collision derbies on YouTube, like me. I love doing that. I just got turned on to that last Sunday night. I love watching demolition derbies on YouTube. I don't know why. It's the redneck in me. But it just, it fills my soul, just seeing machines crash into each other. I love it. Whatever it is in your life, maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's shopping. I don't know. But you need to find that thing that just, it doesn't exhaust you when you're done. You're, oh, I'm tired. Now. No, no, no. It's, man, I, I just, I'm full now. I'm, I'm refreshed. Why? Because you're honoring God. God made the day holy. That, by the way, is why it is important to come to church on Sunday and not the lake. And, and I just say that very respectfully. Today you couldn't go to the lake if you wanted. You'd freeze. So I'm glad you're here. But you need to understand that's why we come to this place to worship God for what? Every One day a week to say, God, thank you. We don't go to church to hear me. We go to church to say, God, thank you for what you've done this past week. Of all the things that you did in my life, God, I'm going to model my life after what you did in the first week of creation. You did all this stuff, and then there was just one day where you just rested and enjoyed it. And so, God, all the stuff you've done in my, week, uh, in my life this past week, today's the day I'm officially going to say thank you. God, I give this day to you. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship. I'm going to say thank you, God. And then, man, we're, I'm going to go home and I'm going to rest. I'm just going to whatever it is to fill my soul, to start my week off strong. Meaning, I mean, that's a whole message in and of itself, but it's really important. Well, here's the third thing I think is the biggest takeaway. And you say, well, that's great, Brian. We talked about who God is. We talked about why God created things to fill the empty. But how does that apply to my daily life? I mean, I understand some things I didn't know before. But how does that impact my daily life? And I think it's a valid question. And we should always ask that question as we study the Bible. And, and to me, the answer is really quite simple on day six. There are four main things when God creates human beings that he tells the human beings to do. 
And these four things have not changed at all in, in the centuries since God created them. And you and I need to do them as well. So what is, how should we live in response to chapter 1 of Genesis? What is God wanting of you and of I? How does it apply to our life? I would simply say this. you got to live filled to reflect. In fact, that's the first thing. Notice what God says. We're going to create people in our image. And we say when God uses we, he's talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is the creator, his son Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. And they're all there. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But when God says, let us make man in our image, God's saying, why? To reflect our image. You and I were created by God not to make a lot of money, not to be famous. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're created for one main purpose, to continually reflect the character and nature and goodness of God in heaven. That's why you're on planet Earth. Listen, that goes for every aspect of your life. So then we think, well, what are the characteristics of God? Well, God is full of love. He's full of justice and mercy. God hates sin. He hates evil. God is a God of grace and, and understanding and compassion and patience. All these attributes that we understand about God should be attributes that you and I are continually striving to have in our daily life. Now, God knows you're not perfect and that you're going to fall short at times, but nonetheless, that's the standard, that's the goal. In fact, that's the goal for every avenue of your life. I want to reflect God with my finances. I want to reflect God in my marriage. I want to reflect God in the way I raise my kids. I want to reflect God in the way I talk about my friends when they're not around, right? I want to reflect God on what I post on social media, and some of you, that really hurts, but, but we need to hear it. Are you and I reflecting the goodness of God in every avenue of our life? Why? That's why you're put on this planet. That's it. Here's the next thing, and I think that's really cool, is because your worth, why does that matter? Your worth is not tied into your work. In America, we've, we've linked the two. In America, in Western cultures, my worth is directly tied into my work. And so whatever I can produce, especially for men, we're very guilty of this, and I am too, that if I can produce something big and great, then I have a lot of worth. No. The cool thing about Genesis chapter 1 says it's not about your work. Your worth is found in God alone. Understand, every human being has immense value and worth to God. It's not about what you can do for him or produce. God gives you worth because he created you, not on what you can do for him. I love that. Here's, I think, really important as well. Don't be alone. Notice it says that God made male and female. And next week, well, you can read ahead in chapter 2 because that's the only part of God, God's creation in all seven days that he said something is not good. And it's in chapter 2. God says, it is not good that man is alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. I'm going to make Adam and Eve, husband and wife. Listen, God, we said this before. We say it a lot at Pathway. Don't be alone. That's why we say find family. Where did we get that from? Genesis 1. That's God's will for you. Find family. Like you are not created to do life on your own. You can't. Well, I'm just too busy to get in a group. No, you're not. No, you're not. In fact, I would say this. You need to offload some other things so you can onload the right things. I'll say that again so you could write it down. You need to offload some of the wrong things so you can onload some of the right things in your life that are really going to add value, that are really going to make a difference, that are really going to help you grow. And the things of God are the only thing on this planet that are going to help you really grow because he's the one that created you, not all the other busyness of your life. 
By the way, you're not any busier than anybody else on planet Earth. We all have 24 hours in a day. God created it. said it's not good that they're alone. You need relationships. Here's the thing. In my marriage, the goal of my marriage is not to make my wife happy. The goal of my marriage is to reflect God in my marriage. How do I do that? By making my wife happy. See, it all works. Some of you thought, where's he going? It all, it all, it all ties in. The goal of being a parent, I want to reflect God to my kids. You need relationships. And I, and I just want to say this very quickly. And, and, and you need to know, if you've been a pathway anytime, you know my heart, my intent is never to offend, ever. That's never, that's not me. But, but my heart and intent every single week is to present you the clear truth, whether we agree or disagree, the clear truth of what the scripture says. So this is not my opinion or the opinion of pathway. This is clearly, unarguably, what the Bible tells us. And so I think this is very important. Verse 27 states this, that God creates them male and female, human beings. And notice it says it three times. Anytime the Bible repeats itself even once, it's a big deal. But verse 27, three times, male and female, male and female, in his image, in his image. Again, our intention is never to, to offend, but it's always to present the truth, even if it's unpopular with culture. In fact, a famous pastor named Tim Keller at a church in New York says this, and I love this quote, if you have a God that never disagrees with you, you don't have a God at all. You have an idol, and you are your own idol, and you better watch out because that's an extremely dangerous, scary place to be. There are things that I wish weren't in the Bible that, that, that are offensive to me, but nonetheless, I don't change it to fit me. I change me to fit it because it is the ultimate good for my life. So look, I always say this, look, if you're someone that is, that is wrestling with the issues of gender identity, you are welcome at Pathway, always and forever. And look, let me say, if, if someone makes you uncomfortable, you come tell me who they are, and we'll probably get rid of them before we'd ever get rid of anybody else. Always, what Pathway is open to anybody, and that may offend some, so be it. We will take anyone that wants to know God, anyone that wants to find family, anyone that wants to make a difference. That's the heart of God from chapter 1, and that's our heart as well. We don't apologize for that, and we don't apologize for telling you the truth. Your, your gender identity is not up to your opinion or to the opinion of what culture says or to the opinion of a doctor and a medical professional. I respect all those things. Your gender identity was given to you by God the moment you were created in your mother's womb. And so I would just say, well, why does that matter, Brian? Because, because here's really what you're saying, and I say this with all due respect, I genuinely do. Please hear my heart. What you're really saying is, is this, that, that God, you made a mistake. I know better than you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix your mistake. What you're really saying is, I know better than you do, God. You mean you know better than the created, the one that created you in the first place? That is extremely arrogant and scary and prideful. No, instead it's, you know what, God, if you created me to be a male, I'm going to be a male. You created me to be a female, I'll be a female. And look, I, I, may have, I may wrestle with that. I may be uncomfortable with it. I may have issues with that. And look, we're welcome you here. We're, that's what we're all about. You're welcome to wrestle with those things while you're here. But at the end of the day, male and female... Gender identity is not up to what culture says. It's to the word of God. Culture did not create you. God did. Let's submit to his will, not what we think is best. 
So now that I potentially offended half of you, I'm potentially going to offend the other half. And I'm not trying to at all. So some of you on this side of the aisle, you know, the left side, the Democrat, oh, that was, that was horrible. And some of you now, what I'm about to say on the right side, the, the, why would you say that's horrible? Here's the next thing. I think this is equally important. God created us as human beings to take care of his creation. I mean, that's quite, that's quite obvious. Notice what God said in verse 26. I made, I spent five days making all this, and I made it for you. You're over all the animals. You're below me in the totem pole, but you're above all the animals. I want you to do what? Take care of them. Planet Earth does not belong to me or you or America or any other country. It's God's. Think of this planet as if you're just renting a home. You don't own it. So you better be careful what you do to that home. Now, can you live in it? Can you enjoy it? Absolutely, you should. But you don't own that. This planet is God's planet, not ours. So let's treat it with respect. Let's treat it like the way that God created it, which was holy. Let's, let's treat it as if we're just renters living on a very short time scale. The earth is millions of years old, and you're lucky if you make it to 100. You're just renting a very small segment of time. Now, look, I, I say this. I'm not saying that we should all go live in mud huts and, and we should, if you, if you feel led to do that, do that. I am not a policy person. I'll tell you my limitations. I'm not into politics as far as, well, this is how we should do it. No, no, hey, look, that's between you and, 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 and your prayer life, between you and political affiliation or whatever. And did God give us natural resources to, to use for our benefit? Absolutely he did. There's nothing wrong with, with using natural resources that God gave us. But we, at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, Jesus, we should be some of the ones, maybe not to an extreme, but we should be some of the ones saying, yeah, we do need to take care of this. Why? Because it's God's. It's not mine. I didn't create the mountains and the oceans and the fish and the land. God did. I just want to take care of it. And look, however that works out in your life, that's, that's up to you. And, and, and I, I'm certainly, I have a lot of work to do in this. I, I wish I could recycle more. I don't. And so I'll just be open with you again. I'm not a hypocrite. I need to work on this in my life. I'm not saying this because of one side of the aisle or the other, just like our previous statement. I'm saying this is clearly what we see in Scripture. And our goal is not to follow political parties, which we're really in danger of in America as far as Christians. Our goal is to follow the truth of Scripture. Because what your political affiliation believes today, they will change it in about ten years or five years. God's Word never changes. I think it's important. And here's the last one. We're going to end on a good note because some of you are like, oh, my goodness. Wow, he really just offended everybody in the room. We're going to end on a good note I think everybody could agree with. Notice the fourth thing that God says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, practically, God says have kids. That's a good thing. Children are a blessing of God. That's great. And I would say this, not only does God want us to have kids, but that principle of be fruitful and multiply, God wants to apply it to every area of your life, to your business, to your family, to, to every area, to, to Pathway Church. God doesn't just, he's not a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. I love that about God. Be fruitful, be productive with what I have given you so the talent and the gift that God has given you be productive with that. Be fruitful with that. And then God is going to help you multiply that. It is okay to be a multiplication person. We want to be a multiplication church. What is the thing that God has given you? And then, hey, i got to be fruitful. i got to be productive with it. And then God's going to help me multiply it. Man, that's a blessing that God wants for you. I just encourage you to live that way. God, what have you given me? And I, I want to don't just add to it, man. I want to multiply it. And I want to be fruitful in that to honor you. And to, to multiply. Here's the really cool thing. In Genesis 1, it says that 
the earth was empty and without form, and then God gave form to it. That's what God does for us. We've mentioned that a few times, but that's what God does for us. That our life, before we come to Jesus, before we know God, that's one of our principles of pathway, our life is empty. It's formless. It's just, a, it's just there. I mean, we're there, but we're not there. When you are filled with the presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the forgiveness of Jesus and his presence, all of a sudden, notice what God did. The earth was empty and formless. It was dead. There's water, but it's dead. There's land, but it's dead. God breathed life into the dead places. And God wants to breathe life into the dead places of your life right now today. God wants to breathe life. And notice in the beginning, the earth is empty and formless. But notice by day six, it's what? It is bursting. It is overflowing with life, with all creation, with wild colors and, and life and every living thing. And it's beautiful. God can do that for you today when you give your life to Jesus. The other thing that I love, the imagery of, of chapter 1, verse 2, says that in the beginning the earth was empty and formless, verse 2, but the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, it's God's Spirit, was hovering over the water. That word in Hebrew is, you might think of like a hummingbird, that it's, their, their wings are just flapping 100 miles an hour. That in other words, there's this empty blob that has no meaning and has no purpose and it's dark and it's there, but God's Spirit is hovering over it. In other words, you get the idea something big is about to happen. There's a change about to take place. And all of a sudden the Spirit of God infiltrates the world and gives life to it. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do for you and I today. The empty places of your life, He is just hovering over saying, if you'll give it to me, I'll breathe life. And the dead things, you can walk out of this room today bursting with life. In fact, that's what Jesus said in the New Testament in the book called John, chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to do what? Give you life. He is not a God of death, but a God of life. In fact, in that book, John, chapter 1, verse 1, it starts the same way as Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus. In all creation, there's Jesus, the Trinity. He gives life. You see, culture says this, live for yourself. Man, forget everybody, just live for yourself and you can be full. But it's a lie. Because when you live for yourself, you actually end up more empty than you'd ever be. No, God gives you a better alternative. God says, if you'll give it to me, the empty places, I'll fill it overflowing with life. And today I want to invite you and give you that opportunity to give the emptiness of your life to the only one that can fill it overflowing with life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, for who you are. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Genesis 1. And whether we agree or disagree with what culture and, and opinions, at the end of the day, we submit to the one that created us, which is you. We may have questions. We may wrestle with things. But at the end of the day, we want to follow what you tell us. Father, we thank you that we understand who created all things, and that's undeniably, unarguably, the God of heaven. We know why you created it, to help fill the formless, give meaning to the meaningless, overflow the empty. And today, if that's you, as we're all just praying right now, if you would say, that's me, I want to, my life is empty. Maybe there's areas of my life that are empty, but man, big chunk of my, it's empty. I've tried to fill it with everything else. And you're right, Brian. It just makes it worse. That hole gets deeper and deeper. But I want to I try what you said. I want to fill it with the only thing 
overflowing with life to give you purpose and to give you meaning. If that's you, we want to give you an opportunity to have a relationship with the God that we just read and talked about, the God that created you in your mother's womb. If you would simply raise your hand. We're not asking you to join our church or find a religion. You don't need to even stand up or come to the front. Just right where you're at, I'm ready for God to fill the empty. I'm ready for a relationship with Jesus. Just simply raise your hand. The rest of we're just praying right now. If that's you, if you'd raise your hand, we'd just love to pray with you. And thank you.